um, how to structure sort of a review with a little bit of depth, a little bit of overview, a little bit of, you know, there's so much, especially if we're looking at, I guess we're 10 dapim into the Masechet, uh, we already have 10 uh, dapim behind us or more uh, to review. Um, each week we would have seven or eight. Uh, even then, that's a lot to cover uh, in, a, uh, in one shiur. So my thought was to try to give a little bit of an overview a little bit of a review. If there are any questions that can be asked or answered, maybe do that. And then we'll play it by ear. Based on what you think, let me know if there's something you'd like to do more of, less of, during the shiur. We'll try to focus on that, whatever you think is the most useful, because um, that would be something you would, you know, I want to tailor it to what everybody feels they're getting the most out of, you know? So, but I'll just... Since it's the first time, I'll just kind of give over a couple of points that I think are important and valuable for this Masechet um, and for this first Perek. And you guys tell me if you have any questions or things you'd like to focus on. Or alternatively, uh, if in the future you want to try a different format where we focus on something more specific rather than do an overview. And we could plan what we do specifically for that week, what we decide to go into more detail or something in a particular topic. Totally up to you. Um, I don't want to determine that. I want that to come from you guys, whatever you think. So this week, though, since we didn't plan in advance and we have, we're just experimenting with the format, I'm going to give over some thoughts that I had about the Perek, some ideas, some highlights, some review, and you guys tell me for the coming weeks what we should do with the time. Now, of course, this first Perek of Masechet Chagiga, which is the namesake of the, of the whole Masechet, is, uh, uh, is about the, mainly the uh, Chagiga, basically, or more precisely, the mitzvah of Re'iyat, uh, uh, of Aliyah Regel, basically, of, of appearance, in the, of going up to the uh, Bet HaMikdash on the, on the Chagim, and uh, appearing, uh, what's called Re'iyah, the mitzvah of Re'iyah, of appearing in the Bet HaMikdash on the three Regalim, Pesach, Shavuot and Sukkot, there is a mitzvah on every male to, uh, uh, to appear in the Bet HaMikdash on these three uh, festivals at least one time. And uh, upon that uh, visit, he has to do three mitzvot, essentially, three mitzvot. The first mitzvah is what's called Olat Re'iyah. Olat Re'iyah is bringing a korban, which is a burnt offering, uh, a korban olah, korban chagiga which is a celebration offering or whatever we want to call it. It's a korban shelamim. And as we are all experts in the halachot of korbanot from the many years that we spent learning all of the, of the Talmud about korbanot, for two years we spent uh, doing almost exclusively masechtot that dealt with korbanot, we know that the korban shelamim is one which is primarily eaten by the person who brings it. And part of it goes on the mizbeach. Most of it is eaten by the person. Um, and his family. So that's called Koban Chagiga. So there are basically two Kobanot that a person has to bring when he visits the Bet HaMikdash on the Chagim. One is called Olat, uh, one is called Olat Reya, the uh, Koban Ola, and one is Koban Chagiga. Then there's something called Shalmei Simcha. Shalmei Simcha is Kobanot that are brought to add to the festival consumption of meat. That's going to be relative to how much meat that person's family really needs for their, fa- for their family uh, dinner. So, or for their family lunches or whatever during the Chagim. So a person who has a larger family will have more Shalmei Simcha. A person who has a smaller family will have less Shalmei Simcha or may not even need to have Shalmei Simcha because the Korbanot that they're already bringing, the Korban Chagiga, uh, would be enough already. 
Um, so the, the opening Mishnah deals with people who are exempt from Aliyah Regel or exempt from Riyat Panim Bazara from, uh, uh, from the, uh, the mitzvah of uh, Riyah, of appearing in the uh, Bet HaMikdash. The Mishnah gives several people who are exempt from the mitzvah. Uh, it's your usual suspects, Cheresh, Shotek, Katan, but there are other ones like a Chole, a Zaken, Sheno Yechola, Lot Beraglav, a person who's too old to walk up, a person who is lame, meaning that he can't walk so well, a person who is blind, because a person who is blind is not able to fully experience um, what it means to enter the Bet HaMikdash and to uh, behold the inspiring uh, you know, the inspiring visuals of the Bet HaMikdash, so it doesn't make sense for such a person to be required to uh, do Ali al-Regel, or at least um, to uh, appear in the Bet HaMikdash, and to, because the visiting of the Bet HaMikdash is supposed to be an inspiring experience. Now, one of the things that I wanted to point out that I think is really, really interesting in this whole mitzvah of Ali al-Regel is that it's connected to another mitzvah. It's connected to the mitzvah of Hakel, Mitzvah Hakel is something I think we're somewhat more familiar with. We hear about it. Mitzvah Hakel is every seven years after the Shemitah, which means it would be the upcoming Sukkot. It would be next Sukkot, actually. If the Bet HaMikdash exists by next Sukkot, we will have the Mitzvah of Hakel. This coming Sukkot, it's the post-Shemitah. Post-Shemitah Sukkot, there is a Mitzvah Hakel. The Mitzvah Hakel is for everybody, men, women, and children, to gather together to hear the Sefer Torah being read by the King of Israel. The King of Israel, the Melech, will read the Torah in front of everybody. This is a mitzvah that is actually mentioned only towards the very end of the Torah, in Parashat Vayelech, towards the very end of the Torah. And it would seem like, it sounds like, the Melech has to read the entire Torah, but actually he doesn't have to read the entire Torah. He reads excerpts from the Book of Dvarim, essentially, is what the king reads. Excerpts from the Book of Dvarim. Um, and the purpose of it is to educate the people, inspire them, and uh, strengthen their connection to Torah, to Judaism. Now, the question is, why is this mitzvah related to the mitzvah of Aliyah Regel? Because one could, could argue, very convincingly, you would think, could argue that really there's no relationship, there's no connection, because the mitzvah of Aliyah Regel is only for men. And it's only really for adult men, because children are only included because of chinuch. And women are not included. Um, and children are not included. So, and hakel is the opposite. Hakel, everybody has to come. Men, women, and children have to participate. So what is the... And, and it doesn't have... Any, you don't have to bring a korban. You don't have to bring a korban olat riyah, a korban ola, korban shlamim. None of these things apply to, uh, to the mitzvah of hakel. So the mitzvah of hakel really doesn't seem to have anything to do with the mitzvah of aliyah regel that we're reading about in the rest of the Masechet. Why is it connected? And yet you see that it is connected. And we see a couple of indications that it's connected. The first one is that on Daf Gimel, Amud Aleph, and, uh, and even uh, starting uh, on, uh, mainly on Daf Gimel, Amud Aleph, there's a lot of things that we learn from one to the other. We learn people who are exempt from Aliyah Regel, from people who are exempt from Hakel. We learn people who are, for example, a person who cannot speak um, a person who cannot speak is exempt from the hakel and is going to be exempt also, as the uh, Gemara said, um, it said that, uh, that we learn Ru'iyah, we learn Ru'iyah because it says that the people have to come uh, at the time that they are doing Aliyah Regel, they do this mitzvah hakel once every seven years. Okay, so it says over there that we exclude a person who can speak but cannot hear 
also a person who can hear but cannot speak because the hakel is meant to hear the divrei Torah that the king is reading. And it's also meant that you should share it and teach your children what you're hearing, what you're absorbing. If you can't do that, then you'd be exempt. And so for Aliyah Regal, you're also going to be exempt. Now you could say, wait a second, the two things have no connection because hakel is audio. It's, it, hakel is, right, is, is something that you're, you're hearing. Right, so really, because something you're hearing, it's auditory, so then it makes sense if you can't hear or you can't speak, so you're exempt from it. Whereas Aliyah Regal is visual. So what difference does it make if you can hear or not? You walk into the Bet HaMikdash, it's an amazing experience, incredible experience. You see, you're inspired, you can, you know, you can even, uh, you know, you can be really moved by that. What difference does it make if you can hear or if you can speak? It's about the experience of seeing in the case of Aliyah Regel. But yet, you see that they learn one from the other. They compare one to the other. They learn Halachot from Hakil to Aliyah Regel and vice versa. Moreover, you also see that the Rambam, in his codification of the Halachot, the Rambam always codifies the Halachot. When he codifies Halachot, he codifies them in a way that you can understand how he um, thought about those Halachot, how he explained the Halachot, not just the, the information, but he gives you a way of looking at the Halachot. What is the way that the Rambam gives you to look at the Halachot of Hakel? He says that uh, he, he puts the halachot of Hakel as the third parak of the laws of Chagiga. In other words, the first prakim speak about Aliyah Regel and all of the requirements of that. And the third one speaks about, uh, speaks about the, uh, the mitzvah of Hakel, speaks about the mitzvah of gathering in that seventh year or eighth year, uh, the year after the Shemitah. And we can see it actually. I brought it. I can even screen share, share, share it with you. Unfortunately, the people who are hearing only the audio won't be able to see a screen share. Um, I can actually video and audio tape this in the future on Zoom if we wish to do so. But you see that this is the this is the uh, this is a wonderful website called the Al Torah that has everything, everything, everything. And um, in it, it has the Rambam, and you'll see that Per Gimel of the Rambam here. In Ilchot Chagigai says, Mitzvah Tasei Lakil Kol Yisrael Anashim Venashim Betaf Bechol Motzei Shemitah Baalotam Naregel. So when does this mitzvah happen? It happens when they do Aliyah Naregel, but it's really a different mitzvah. It's a mitzvah of gathering to hear the king read the Torah. Velikot Bozneim Ben Torah Parashiot Shein Mezarzot Otan BeMitzvot Umchazkot Yedein Bedat Emet. The purpose is that they should gather together to hear Torah reading that will strengthen them in the observance of mitzvot and, um, and in the uh, true religion. And he goes on with all of these halachot and who is exempt and who isn't exempt and who is required and who isn't required and how it's done and the king and the bachot that the king says and so on. But you see that it is connected very much to the, uh, to the laws of Aliyah Regel, the Rambam himself connects them uh, directly by putting them in the same category, in the same section of the Mishneh Torah. So the question is, why are they connected? Except for the fact that they happen at the same time, that when we do the Hakel is when, is when the Jews are coming up for Aliyah Regel. That's question number one. Question number two, I'll just bring to your attention that uh, there's a Machloket in the Mishnah, um, and this is, again, this is good for review. There's a machloket in the Mishnah about how much you have to spend on the two korbanot that you bring. It's a machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. It's in the, very, uh, in the very beginning, in the very first Mishnah. Beit Shammai says, The olat roya, shte kesef, v'chagiga ma'a kesef. Exactly the opposite. Bet uh, Shammai says that the Olat the burnt offering, has to be double the value of the Koban Chagiga, uh, of the Shlamim. And Bet Hillel says the opposite, that, the, bur- that the, the one that you eat should be double the value of the Olat 
And um, and on on daf hey uh, on daf uh, on daf zayin on daf zayin there's a whole discussion over there of um, oh no it's even before that it's even before that one second no it's on daf vav it's on daf vav on daf vav there's a whole discussion of what the reasoning is behind their positions okay and it, and and what it boils down to is. What interestingly, what it ends up boiling down to is that Beit Hillel says that we give precedence to the Koban Chagiga because the Koban Chagiga was brought even before the Torah was given because we find that the Jewish people brought Koban Shlamim immediately prior to the giving of the Torah, to receiving the Torah. So therefore, even before the giving of the Torah, they had Koban Chagiga and they had Koban Shlamim and therefore it takes precedence. Whereas Koban Olav they didn't have. And Beit Shammai says, what are you talking about? It says in the Torah that they also brought Olot. They brought Olot also at Har Sinai. How could you say that there was not Koban Ola? Beit Hillel says, no, that's the Olat Tamid. That is the daily offering that they were bringing. That's not a special individual offering. The individuals brought Koban Shlamim. The community brought Koban Ola, which was the Ola Tamid, the regular Koban Tamid that's brought every day. Beit Shammai says, no, they brought Ola and Shlamim. Both of them were brought by individuals because it was a type of Aliyah Regel. It was a type of Re'iyat Pnei Shechina or Leheraot Lefnei Shechina. They were appearing before Hashem's presence at Har Sinai, bringing the Koban Shlamim and the Koban Ola just like they would in the uh, in you know in in the uh, in Aliyah Regel, they did at Har Sinai bringing a Koban Shlamim and a Koban Ola, and that's the debate back and forth. So therefore, Beit Shammai says that you know the Ola, which is fully burnt on the altar and which also was given at Har Sinai, should be more holy and more expensive than the Koban Shlamim. And Beit Hillel says no, since there was no Koban Ola of an individual at Har Sinai, because they say that at Har Sinai it was only the Koban Tamid that was brought. It wasn't a Koban of the individual. It wasn't a Koban Olat Re'iyah like we have when we go to the Beit Hamikdash. So therefore, since it was later, it's secondary and it's cheaper than the Koban Shlamim. It doesn't have to be as expensive as the Koban Shlamim. The question, of course, is what kind of a reasoning, what kind of a logic, what is the relevance of Har Sinai? What is the relevance of what kind of Korbanot were brought at Mount Sinai to the question of Aliyah Regel? Where does this become, you know, why is this the basis for the argument back and forth between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel? About the uh, about the korban uh, olat riyah that's not has nothing to do with Har Sinai. It has to do with when you go up to the Beit Hamikdash. Which kind of korbanot you have to bring? Everyone agrees which kind you have to. But whether you have to bring uh, a, a more expensive shlamim or a more expensive olah, why should that be? Why should that be connected to what the Jewish people brought or didn't bring at Har Sinai? But I think what we see from here is something a big chidush, actually big chidush, big novel, insightful idea concept that helps us uh, really understand what all of Aliyah Regel is really about. I think it's an amazing, amazing idea, and it explains so much about Koban Chagiga, about Olat Reiyah, about the Mitzvah Hakel, all of it. That really, what is Aliyah Regel about? It's a reenactment, basically, of the experience of Ma'amad Har Sinai. It's a reenactment, a reaffirmation of the Brit, a reaffirmation of the covenant of Har Sinai. It's a reenactment of it. We present ourselves before Hashem just as we did at Har Sinai. And that is the argument between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Did they bring a Koban Ola 
or did they bring only a korban shlamim? According to Beit Betilel, since they only brought a the individuals only brought a korban shlamim at Har Sinai, so in the future when we do Aliyah Regel, the primary korban is the is the is the korban shlamim because that was the one that they had there. According to Beit Shammai, no, they had a Koban Ola, and it was even holier than the Koban Shlamim. Everyone also brought a, a Koban Ola, and therefore the original Aliyah Regel, so to speak, the original um, re- receiving of the divine presence and presentation of ourselves before Hashem at Har Sinai was done with these both of these Kobanot, according to Beit Shammai, and therefore the Koban Ola, since it's holier anyway, should be uh, more expensive than the Koban Shlamim. This is really the, you can only explain and understand why Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel would argue about this if you have this idea that really all of Aliyah Regel is based upon Ma'amad Har Sinai. It's based upon trying to reenact, recapture, re-experience this um, once in a lifetime or once in history event of Har Sinai. So when we go back to Aliyah Regel each time, what we're essentially doing is reaffirming our Brit with Hashem, once again standing in the presence of Hashem, not on Mount Sinai, but at Har Habayit. It's a different mountain, but it's the same concept, um, and, uh, and, and th- that we're receiving the Divine Presence again. And this fits beautifully, beautifully with something that the Ramban, not Maimonides, but Nachmanides, says in all of his Perushim <coughs> about, the Mish- about the Mishkan. The Ramban says that the whole concept of the Mishkan was to perpetuate the experience of Mount Sinai. That's why at the, in the Kodesh HaKodeshim are the Luchot that came down from Mount Sinai. Everything about the Mishkan is designed to remind us there are three levels, just like there were three levels of people leading up to Har Sinai, Moshe, then Aaron and his group, and then the people. They were all, they were, the, the whole Mishkan is meant to, that's why it wasn't until they built the Mishkan that they could leave Har Sinai. That's what the Ramban explains, because they needed to carry that experience of Har Sinai with them uh, moving forward so that it would be eternal. It would be with them forever. And he explains that, uh, he gives many other, uh, he shows many, many, many uh, proofs that that is really what the Mishkan is all about. And it's very interesting that many modern scholars of the Torah have really adopted that concept of the Ramban and they believe in it very much, that he, he really had an insight, tremendous insight into the meaning of the Mishkan. But it makes perfect sense that Aliyah Regel then is really a reenactment of going to Har Sinai to receive the Torah. And, <coughs> and uh, that's why the Korbanot that are brought at Aliyah Regel are the same as the Korbanot that were brought at Har Sinai, or, well, according to, the, according to Beit Shammai, they're exactly the same. According to Beit Hillel, there's the original one, which was, the, um, which was only the Korban Shlamim, and added to that is the Korban Ola, which they didn't have initially at Har Sinai. Perhaps he would say, perhaps uh, Beit, Beit Hillel would say, that the Jewish people didn't have the level uh, uh, to be, for the individual to be able to bring a Koban as holy as a Koban Ola uh, before the Torah was given. It was only later when they had established the Beit HaMikdash that an individual could bring the Koban Ola um, you know, as, a, as an individual. Therefore, they only had a communal Koban, according to Beit Hillel, a communal Koban Ola, because the Koban Ola is the most holy. The Koban Ola represents 
the transcendence of Hashem. It represents the most holy and profound idea of Korbanot. So maybe that, according to Beit Hillel, the Jewish people weren't let yet on the level until afterwards to have a Korban Ola together with their Korban Shlamim. Whatever the case may be, it's based upon that event. You could see from the fact that Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel are arguing about that event. Now, why is that so important? That's important because now we can also understand the idea of Hakel. What is Hakel? The Mitzvah of Hakel. Mitzvah of Hakel is that every eight years you have a gathering where what happens? The Torah is read. And who comes? Everybody, men, women, and children all come in order to hear the Torah being read. And as the Rambam says, Lechazek et Dataimit, to strengthen the true religion. What is the concept? The concept is that you could think of it as the Hakel is the ultimate, ultimate form of Aliyah Regel. That's why it's connected to the Halachot of Aliyah Regel. It's connected to the Halachot of Aliyah Regel because each time we do Aliyah Regel on Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, on regular years, we're ta- we're, we have a taste of the concept of reenacting Ma'amad Har Sinai. But when we have Hakel once every seven years at the end of the Shemitah year, we have Hakel to remind us uh, uh, to, to reenact Ma'amad Har Sinai at an even higher level, an even more complete level because we have the reading of the Torah there and we have the men, women, and children there, the impact, the power of the event so is is even greater. The concept being that Hakel is the sort of the um, ultimate form, the ultimate form, just like Yovel is like the ultimate form of a Shemitah. It's Shemitah plus all the ideas that Shemitah doesn't completely express, but hints to them, everything is fully expressed in Yovel. So too in Hakel, all the ideas of Aliyah Regel of reaffirming our commitment to Hashem, receiving the presence of Hashem, presenting ourselves as servants of Hashem, accepting the Torah, embracing the Torah, all of those ideas that we implicitly, we hint at them when we come for Aliyah Regel and we appear in the Bet HaMikdash and we bring the Korbanot that were the Korbanot that were offered at Har Sinai, right? All of that we do when we bring the Korbanot uh, of the Aliyah Regel. But to truly, truly experience what Aliyah Regel is, is to have Hakel. And that's why the two are connected. So somebody who's exempt from Hakel, even though, right, even though the, the exemption might not make any sense because, uh, because Hakel has to do with hearing and Aliyah Regel has to do with seeing. But since Hakel is the ultimate form of Aliyah Regel, if you're exempt from the ultimate form, you're also going to be exempt from the other forms. So if you're deaf or mute, you're going to be exempt from Hakel, you're going to be exempt from uh, Aliyah Regel too, based upon that. So that's the concept of the, uh, of, um, uh, of the connection between Hakel and Aliyah Regel. I think it's a beautiful concept, a beautiful idea that every Chag, and this explains why the Chagim are given to the Jewish people, the idea of the cycle of Chagim are given right after Ma'amad Ar-Sinai, first at the end of Parashat Mishpatim, and then again, um, and at, again at the, uh, at the end of Parashat Kitisa that we just read this past week, that uh, the, the idea that, um, uh, that the three Chagim are a way of keeping alive and reaffirming the covenant of Har Sinai by reenacting that event. Um, and, and that's why there's a connection uh, uh, between the two. And that's why Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel are arguing 
or are basing their reasoning upon what korbanot were or were not brought at Har Sinai. And as I mentioned, there could be different reasons why uh, why the, the, the Jewish people did or didn't bring a korban ola at Har Sinai. The point is that the korbanot that they bring are going to be based upon the, uh, the, the same, the, based upon what they did indeed bring at Har Sinai, whatever that might be. Okay? Um, and that's the, uh, and that's the, uh, the concept. And that's why you see that, for example, Simchat Yom Tov, as the Gemara said, Simchat Yom Tov, uh, even somebody who is deaf or mute is still going to have because Simchat Yom Tov is not this experience of Hakel. It's not this experience of Aliyah Regel that is supposed to be a reenactment of the total experience of, uh, of Mamad Har Sinai, which involves all of the senses and requires people who can engage with all of the senses. So that's one of the main ideas, I think, in, in, in the whole uh, first parak. It's a beautiful way of thinking of, of the, what Aliyah Regel really means. Um, obviously, there's much more in the parak. There's a lot of beautiful agadot in the parak, fascinating agadot, some of them, shocking agadot, some of them maybe. Um, there's the question of, there's the machloket between Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan about visiting the Bet HaMikdash more than necessary. Um, this is on Dav Zayin. So there's a question of, it says, we know the very famous, uh, very, very famous from uh, Masechet Pe'ah. Masechet Pe'ah tells us that, uh, that there are things, Elu Dvarim She'en Lahem Shi'ur, the very first Mishnah of Masechet Pe'ah. One of them is, Harwe uh, Ayon, appearing in the Bet HaMikdash has no measurement. The question is, what does that mean? Rabbi Yochanan says what that means is that you can go, um, uh, you can go as often as you want uh, to the Bet HaMikdash uh, on, on the Regal. And Rabbi Yochanan says after the first time that you've brought a Korban, you, you fulfilled the mitzvah. The first time you go in, everybody agrees you have a mitzvah. You cannot come in empty-handed to the Bet HaMikdash the first time that you come on the Chag. But the rest of the time, whenever you come, you don't have to bring anything, right? If you do, they'll receive it from you. But if you don't, uh, uh, it's no problem, according to Rabbi Yochanan. According to Rish Lakish, anytime you come, right? In the beginning, what the Gemara said was, anytime you come, you have to bring another korban. You must bring another korban with you each time you come to visit. Um, at the end of the Gemara, we find that it says, it, it, it uh, tweaks it, right? It says, uh, that actually, no, even Rabbi Yochan, even Reish Lakish would say that you could come on the other days of the festival and not bring anything. The question is when you do bring it. Right, so uh, Rabbi Yochanan says, "Riyat panim bazara, riyat panim hu de'in la shiur lekoban yesh la shiur." For Rish Lakish, "Amar riyat panim koban, dafilu koban nami in lo shiur." That according to Rish Lakish, you can bring as many korbanot as you want. Um, and, and so, in, in other words, at the end, it's not a, a question of whether you have to or not, but whether you whether it would be accepted or not. That according to Rish Lakish, you can bring uh, as many korbanot olot uh, riya as you want. And that's not going to be a problem. But the idea of, uh, uh, that Re'ayon has no measurement, has no limit, is that the, appear- the question, of course, is whether the person's r- coming into the Bet HaMikdash 
has an innate value to it. So it seems like the que- one of the questions is, when I come into the Beit HaMikdash, if I come empty-handed, I come just for the experience, I come just to be inspired by the Beit HaMikdash, or do I always have to do some action that demonstrates service to Hashem, that demonstrates some kind of I'm giving something, I'm doing some action, some mitzvah that I'm fulfilling. Do I need what we would call a matir? Do I need a permission, something that allows me the honor, the privilege of going into the Bet HaMikdash. So the original thought of Resh Lakish was that anytime I go into the Bet HaMikdash, I have to present something. I can't just walk in whenever I want. I can't just take it as a, a privilege and an entitlement to come before Hashem. I have to give something in order to come before Hashem. And that's why I said every time you come, you have to do it. According to Rabbi Yochanan, no. Since you did that on the first day when you appeared initially, now based upon that initial uh, gift that you gave, the rest of the Yom Tov, you have the opportunity to come in as many times as you want to derive inspiration from being Shifti Bevet Hashem Kol Yeme Chayai, like David HaMelech says, spending as much time as you want in the Bet Hashem. According to the second opi- uh, second version of Rabbi Yochanan and Resh Lakish, um, the, the, uh, everybody agrees that uh, uh, that if you come in empty-handed the remaining days, it's okay. The question is, if you come in with something, will it be accepted? According to Rabbi Yochanan, so it's very interesting, it kind of flips things around. The second version of Rabbi Yochanan is saying, there's a limit on how much you should bring. There's a limit on how many uh, korbanot you should present. You shouldn't do too much, according to Rabbi Yochanan. According to Reish Lakish, you can bring as much as you want, and every time you come, if you want to bring another korban, it will be accepted and will be received. And that's the halakha, actually, as codified in the Rambam, in the Mishneh Torah, that the person can bring as many korbanot as they want. Then it go, the Gemara goes on to discuss the issue of making your, not coming into the Beit HaMikdash too much. But they distinguish between coming to the Beit HaMikdash because you have to bring a khatat because you did something wrong, versus coming into the Beit HaMikdash with a korban ola. So the conclusion is that a korban ola, a person can bring as many korbanot ola as they want. They can come as many times as they want during the, uh, during the rest of the, uh, the uh, festival. And the only time one is required, halachically, to bring a korban is the first time that they appear on the holiday. After that, they can come in without a korban, even according to Reish Lakish, according to the second version of the Gemara. Even according to Reish Lakish, you don't need to bring a korban every single time. In other words, he doesn't view every appearance as a new appearance, every appearance as a new um, as, as a new obligation of a korban to permit you to come in. That wasn't his idea. That was what the Gemara initially thought Rish Lakish said. In the end, the Gemara concludes that that is not what Rish Lakish said. But what he said was that if you do bring a korban, it will be accepted. In other words, we don't limit the amount of korbanot that you bring uh, when, if you want to make multiple appearances. But we don't require it from you either. According to Rabbi Yochanan, we don't allow you to overdo the bringing of korbanot, because that, in, according to Rabbi Yochanan, um, in, it will dilute, will dilute the significance, the specialness of the bringing of the korban by uh, having excess. It becomes something which loses its significance. It loses its impact if you bring too many. According to, according to Reish Lakish, the, there's no quantitative limit on how many korbanot you could bring. If each time you visit, you want to bring a korban, you would be allowed to do so, even though you're not required to do so. According to Rabbi Yochanan, you should only bring the one you're required to bring. Beyond that, don't fool yourself into thinking you're a great benefactor of God and you're giving him all kinds of korbanot and he's going to be your, your best friend or something like that. Don't have that wrong idea, says Rabbi Yochanan, by bringing one every time. According to Reish Lakish, we're not concerned about that. 
you're bringing a korban uh, each time that you come. You recognize what a privilege it is to stand in the presence of Hashem, what a pr- privilege it is to be um, in such a holy place. And so therefore you're bringing a korban each time. There's no objection to it according to, Rabbi, Rabbi, uh, according to Rosh Lakish in the final uh, conclusion. And that indeed is the halakha as codified, as I mentioned, in the Rambam, uh, in the Mishneh Torah, which really of all of the, uh, as we know, even though Rashi and Tosafot wrote on the entire Shas, as we've learned in the past, most of the Sifrei Halacha do not codify, they do not uh, come to halachic conclusions regarding mitzvot that are related to the Beit HaMikdash, mitzvot that are for, uh, you know, that are only for uh, the times of the Beit HaMikdash. There's two exceptions. One is the Rambam in the Mishneh Torah, that he codifies all those halachot. The other one is there is a Sefer called Auch HaShulchan, which is uh, primarily well known because it's a wonderful sefer halacha for practical halacha. Um, it's Ashkenazi, but it's very excellent. It was written at the end of the 19th century. It's quite an excellent sefer halacha for understanding halacha. I was mentioning to the other the other day to somebody. It reminds me a bit of Rav Melamed. If you've studied any of Rav Melamed's Pnei Halacha, it's kind of a little bit of an older version of that in the sense that it combines explanation of the halacha with. Practical halacha, it's a very, very good sefer to, to have. But he also wrote something called Aucha Shulchan He'atid, which is Aucha Shulchan that addresses all of the topics of the Bet HaMikdash and the future avodav the, uh, of the uh, Bet HaMikdash, the Kohanim, Tum'at, Tarah, etc., etc. All of the things that the other poskim don't deal with because they're not relevant to uh, day-to-day life nowadays. Um, but it very, So those are the, really the only two resources we have for... Uh, so to speak, for ruling on, uh, on matters of the Bet HaMikdash. And as I said, the Rambam here says, you can bring a Korban every day, you come into the Bet HaMikdash if you wish, if you wish but you are not required to, required to do so. There is um, another, uh, there's a very interesting piece towards the end of the Perek that talks about halachot that have very little basis in the text and a lot of Torah Shebaal Peh. There's very famous uh, Mishnah that uh, that mentions that halachot, for example, of hatarat nedarim, um, halachot of uh, of the of Shabbat and chagigot and meilot, uh, have relatively speaking not a lot of text to back up the many halachot that they uh, that that are involved with them. The Gemara it takes issue with that. Says no, it's not true. You can find a source for Hatarat Nedarim in the Torah. You can find a source for the Halachot of Shabbat. But there are there is to a certain extent a lot more Torah Shabbat Peh in the laws of Hatarat Nedarim in the laws of Hilchot Shabbat than there is in many other areas such as the Korbanot and the and the Avodat Bet Hamikdash and the Tumah Vitara etc. And, and and because the the Torah is much more explicit and detailed. The Torah Shibichtav, I should say, the written Torah is much more explicit and detailed regarding those halachot than it is regarding others. And the Gemara, though, sort of limits, narrows the range and says that the Mishnah is really speaking about certain aspects of these halachot that are Torah Shabbat Peh, not all of them. I think that that is a, more or less, what we get halacha ma'aseh, so to speak, from these, um, from these, uh, uh, dapim, there's also the point that any time, another uh, rule of thumb, we learned many times in the halachot of Kobanot, that any time a person has an obligation to bring something, they're not allowed to bring it from something that they already have an obligation. Meaning they can't use, let's say, uh, uh, ma'aser, 
money to pay for a korban that they have an obligation to bring because they're doubling up on their obligation, uh, trying to get hit two birds with one stone, take the ma'aser sheni money, which you could use to buy meat in Yerushalayim, using that to buy a korban, which is an obligatory korban for you. If it's a korban, which is only for your own personal use, such as shalmei simcha, like we mentioned before, which are just really to provide meat for your Yom Tov meal, then you can use any source of funding that you want. But if you're using, uh, if you're fulfilling one of the primary obligations, such as your Ola or Chagiga, that you're obligated to bring when you appear in the Bet HaMikdash, you cannot piggyback that on another obligation. It has to be from separate funds that are Chulin, that are unconsecrated funds, that are purely for the purpose of the mitzvah. I think that to us more or less covers the topics that uh, halachically were dealt with. I'm sure that I didn't touch on every single one of them, and I definitely didn't touch on every detail um, uh, in terms of, you know, the back and forth of the Gemara, that's, that's for sure. Uh, the, another point is that everybody's obligated to come on Ali al even if they are, if they, uh, are, their profession is something that makes their body smell bad or makes them, you know, distasteful. The unity of the Jewish people is such that everybody goes together. So even if they are people that are working a tannery and they smell bad, they're not excluded. That's another important halacha that comes out of the, uh, uh, out of this, these dapim. I'll mention one, uh, side point that's halacha lemaseh to a certain extent, which is the status of deaf mutes in halacha. I've mentioned it before when we came across it in other dapim and other sugyot that we've learned together in the daf, that the, uh, the idea that a deaf mute is similar to a shoteh, that he doesn't have, that he, he lacks uh, uh, comprehension, that a deaf mute is somehow cognitively impaired, uh, was something that was believed by the Chachamim, and for good reason, because nobody at that time had any way to educate or reach a deaf mute, um, you know, and, and to be able to uh, allow them to learn language or anything like that. So therefore, they, they viewed them as being mentally uh, retarded or uh, uh, what they call today cognitively impaired, more politically correct term, uh, because of that. Uh, we know now that that's not the case and that even people who are deaf mutes can be educated and can learn and do have cognitive ability that could be the same or better um, uh, than those who are uh, who have uh, their full uh, senses functioning, um, and so there is an opinion in Masechet Gitin that says that if a that for instance a a, a cheresh cannot grant a divorce to his wife because he's unable to give a command to the sofer to write the get, and he has to be of sound mind and body. And since a cheresh who can neither speak nor hear. Uh, is considered to have no dot, he's considered to be cognitively impaired according to Allah, therefore he cannot grant a get to his wife. If he married his wife when he had uh, uh, the ability to hear and speak, so his kiddushin was valid, but then he lost his ability to hear and speak, so then he, um, he can no longer give the get. And so there is one opinion that says that if he can write the command, it would be accepted. But that opinion is rejected by the Gemara. The interesting thing is that nowadays when we look at that opinion, we think that it makes a lot more sense. And uh, when I learned Gitin with a Dayan here in Israel several, many years ago, uh, I guess now it was uh, almost 10 years ago, he, sa- he, he mentioned that also. He mentioned that there is an opinion in the Gemara that is more sympathetic or more positive uh, uh, on uh, deaf mutes. And, Rabbi, and it was interesting that Rabbi Ben Chaim said the same. He said that, you know, obviously nowadays because we don't have the ability to change any halachot, 
everything is fixed by until we have another Sanhedrin when the Mashiach comes and we have a Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin has the ability and the freedom to uh, reconsider and change halachot that were codified in the Gemara. Now we have no ability to do that. We have to accept whatever's in the Gemara. But in the future, when those halachot could be revised, it's likely that a future Bedin would change a halacha like that, just like there are other halachot that might be changed based upon further scientific understanding that we have now that we didn't have back then. But the... Um, now we can't change it, but it's just interesting to note that the status of a deaf mute in halacha, as codified in the Gemara, does not exactly fit with our understanding of what deaf mute's abilities are today, and that there's a likelihood that Bezar Hashem bimhirabiyamenu, when the Mashiach comes, and we have a Bedin again, a Sanhedrin, that can revise and update the halachot that were fixed in the Gemara 2,000 years ago, we would have a different outcome uh, for some of these halachot, because the Bedin would be able to... Uh, uh, re, to update halachot in accordance with uh, more uh, developed understanding, just like the Chachamim did in the times of the Gemara. The only thing is that when the Gemara was closed, Chatimat Talmud, the Rambam says, was the last time that the rabbis had freedom to uh, innovate halachot. Now we have only the ability to explain the Gemara. We don't have the ability to deviate from the Gemara. If the Bet HaMikdash is built soon, Bezrat Hashem, and we have a Sanhedrin, then that Sanhedrin would have the freedom to re- Create basically the, the halacha, the Torah Sheba Al the oral tradition would then become a living system again, and the Chachamim would again have the ability to uh, have a flexibility to, uh, to update the halachot, to change the halachot, to change their rulings on certain things that up till now were set in stone as a result of what the Gemara ruled in its time. That's the, uh, and I think that's a good halachic overview of the, um, of, of, of the Perek. There's obviously so many amazing agadot. Beautiful Agadot, fascinating ones. Some of them that talk about the idea that a person could die before their time, even though they're a tzaddik, and that and, and I and you know that they could be taken before their time. And uh, and I, and I thought that was a fascinating, um, you know, that was fascinating there uh, because it it gives you the uh, first of all, it's teaching us that we can never really understand the ways of Hashem. We can never really try to fit Hashem into a box or explain the actions of Hashem because we don't really know and we can't derive from the fact that somebody, God forbid, died young or something happened to them or they lived a long time or they died. Or any of those things, none of them are an indication of uh, them being a tzaddik or not being a tzaddik because there are cheshbonot, calculations of all sorts that are uh, you know uh, behind the scenes and that's what those agadot are really, uh, one of the things that the, that the agadot uh, convey to us are the, uh, you know, the, the fact that the, the cheshbon, that the din v'cheshbon, all of the judgment and the calculation uh, of Hashem is, is beyond our ability to comprehend and beyond even the greatest chachamim, their ability uh, to comprehend. And so we shouldn't take for granted that we can explain the ways of Hashem in a simplistic manner uh, based upon our own intuition about who's righteous and who isn't, who deserves something, who doesn't. Because it's a uh, and, and because it's something that is uh, uh, beyond our uh, beyond our ability. Because there's so many factors that we see here going on beyond the, behind the scenes that we would never have access to that kind of information. There's also the fact that it talks about Chachamim uh, speaking about uh, uh, reading certain psukim and saying, you know, uh, look at the uh, look at how even with a uh, even with a um, uh, you know with all of the teshuvah and all of the righteousness and all of the goodness, still it's ulai, it's maybe, maybe there's hope, maybe Hashem will be good. Meaning, even in terms of, we never really can predict 
what Hashem's actions are going to be, what Hashem's plan is going to be, based upon, even though we have principles that Hashem is just, and Hashem is good, and Hashem is fair, and Hashem judges each person in a true way, what that translates to in the physical world is, is never something that we can easily comprehend or grasp. And we have to remember that, and be humble in trying to interpret events that occur, uh, and not assume that we understand or can explain uh, more than we really can. Um, I think that that's, you know, there's so much more, there's so many more agadot, but we could go for another hour. I don't want to keep you forever. Um, are there any specific questions anyone had that they wanted to touch upon in these dapim? Or uh, if not, um, what I would ask is that everybody give me an idea what you would like to do, because I think the next, the next uh, week, one, one second, one second, the next week will basically take us almost through the next parak, or maybe all the way through the next parak. So if, if there's something specific you'd like to focus on in, the, in a review shi'ur or in, an, in, you know, in a more in-depth shi'ur where we take a topic, would you rather select a topic and go into it in more depth? Would you rather do an overview like this? Would you rather have a Q&A about the dapim? Please give me feedback and we will cater to you know, what everybody's interested in. Okay, but now I'll give any, any questions anyone has and I'm just going to pause the recording because people like when I don't like when there's questions on the recording.